Well, as you can tell, her, I'm not hersing again, right? He's still out of town, so uh, he will be back next week, so you guys can take a deep breath. Um, good, I like the laughter. That's, that makes me feel better anyway, right? So, um, so I, I love traditions. Is anybody with me? Yeah. You love traditions, right? Um, one of my favorite traditions ever is my, my family's 4th of July tradition. Um, sometimes we are gathered as a, as a family unit. We, you know, we watch the fireworks. You know, it doesn't matter where we're at, but we watch the fireworks together. Um, and then other times we gather with my extended family uh, because it's my, mo- my mother's birthday is on the 4th of July. And then my father's is on the 5th of July. So we have one big party. Uh, when a cookout is super fun and we have these traditions and, and I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, I'm the guy who, like when you do these cookouts and there's hamburgers and, anybody love hamburgers and hot dogs in here? Okay, all right, like three people said yes, two people raised their hands, everybody else. I'm gonna assume that you're like me. I like the sides. I will go around and I will get the, the macaroni salad and the potatoes, any salad, by the way, is what I'm gonna go for. Um, and I just, I'll fill up my plate with that. And that screams freedom to me more than the hamburgers and hot dogs. But I love those type of things. I love traditions. I love holiday traditions. Now I'll probably get you here. Who likes holiday traditions, right? Who has a movie that you love to watch every Christmas? Anybody? All right, here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna count to three and I want you to shout out your movie all at once. One, two, three. Okay, those are all great. I love them, okay? Um, I, I love holiday traditions. I love decorating. Uh, well, actually, I don't love decorating. I, I should say that. Um, I don't love decorating for the holidays, but um, <laughs> I was like, no, I, I just don't. Uh, it's not my favorite thing to do, but when my wife and I got, got married, we decided we were gonna come up with some new traditions, some new decorating traditions. And you know, we decided that our tradition was gonna be um, after Thanksgiving, right? Now, that's when all the righteous people do it. Everybody else that does it before that, you need to repent. Um, especially if you're in, I'm serious, when you go into stores and you just see it and it's like, it, we're not even past like, like it's October the you know, 3rd and you're putting out holiday. Anyway, so we decided that was gonna be our tradition. And so we, we, we decided that and, and though my wife will war against that, she always wants to go a little before that. I'm like, nope, we're gonna do it on the day. Um, and so we decided that was gonna be our tradition. Um, and a lot of you maybe know this or don't, but I have a blended family. So the, my, my son, uh, our son decided that he was gonna war a little bit against these traditions because they were new, right? And these traditions were designed to actually facilitate something that was new about us. We had a new relationship and there was a new relationship developing with, with her. So um, it, it's this way in blended family sometimes, but these traditions that we work ourselves into, some of them, uh, are steeped into our lives deeply. And this is one we've tried to get. I'm sure you have your traditions, both holiday, non-holiday, your family gatherings. Some of them we inherit and some of them we set up for ourselves. As I was commuting a couple weeks ago, I live in Jasper, so I've got a nice 30-minute drive down here and um, it's nice. I either listen to podcasts or books or, or I just think a lot of times. Uh, but as I was commuting this time, um, I had this thought pop into my head, which is not uncommon, and typically they're my own thoughts, but this thought that popped into my head was a simple statement, and when I heard this, I thought, that's not me, because I wasn't even thinking about this. Um, The thought that popped in my head was, tradition is not relationship, and it was so strong a thought that I literally pulled over the car and pulled out my phone and typed in the, the note, tradition is not relationship. I felt like it was out of nowhere, you know, again, so I wrote it down 
And I thought as I sat there, this would be a great topic to explore in a sermon. And then I just put it away, drove on into the office. And then when I got to the office, I got a message that said, hey, can you handle the services on the 23rd? And I'm like, perfect, I've got a topic immediately. So God works it out perfectly for today. So let me give you some definitions to set the scene of tradition. We kind of know and feel what it is, but let me, let me tell you what, um, what some of these definitions are. Here's, here's one of the basic definitions for tradition. It says, the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation, or a fact being passed on this way. Um, the theological definition would be a doctrine believed to have divine authority. And then I highlighted this part because it bothered me a lot. It said, though not in scriptures. And that, that gave me some trouble. So I'm gonna read that again. A doctrine believed to have divine authority, though not in scriptures. So today we're gonna talk about tradition and relationship. Um, and the one thing I want you to get from today when you leave is that, is that thing I got in the car, and that is tradition is not relationships. All the things that we do to fulfill the definitions that I just gave you are not the essence of relationships, but are merely a shadow of what they're intended to do. As a matter of fact, traditions are meant to facilitate relationships. All the things we do, all the things we love, we look forward to, um, that we remember, those are all supposed to facilitate our relationships. The whole reason my wife and I wanted to start some new holiday decorating traditions was to facilitate the growth of our relationship and the new budding relationship between her and her son. So traditions are a very good thing, but they can also be very crippling when they become their own thing, when they become their own end. At the heart of all of our spiritual traditions is our relationship with the Father in heaven. Now, I wanna read you today an interaction with Jesus that you probably already know. And to me, when I, when I had this thought that popped into my head, this was the first thing in scripture that popped to me. And I don't know why, but it did. Well, I know why now, but it did. And so um, it's the story of Nicodemus. Um, and Nicodemus was a Pharisee that was very steeped in the religious tradition of Israel. And scripture says that after dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now, I'm gonna pause right there. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. That part is great, but the part that gets me is the part that he came after dark. He came when he was comfortable, right? Didn't wanna be seen, but he was curious. Then Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is giving him a new thing that God is doing. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? It's an honest question. But nothing in Nicodemus, nothing in the vast theological knowledge of Nicodemus could explain the truth that Jesus was giving to him right there. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. He says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't, so don't 
be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Jesus was telling him that there was nothing in his learning and traditions that would give him the formula to engage in this relationship he was talking about. Nicodemus said, how are these things possible? Jesus replied, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, we tell you what we know and what and have seen, and yet you don't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man came down from heaven. And, has, and as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus laid it out for him and continued to do so in the following scriptures. But Nicodemus, though he was curious, couldn't get past the, the tradition that he was a part of and the traditions that were so ingrained in him to be able to see the relationship that was being offered directly to him. And the kicker about this whole interaction is that the traditions that he took part in and held on to, they were designed to facilitate the relationship he was being offered. We take our traditions and we turn them into some type of mathematical law that says, and I thought about putting this slide up, but tradition equals how it's supposed to work. That makes sense? Tradition, well, sorry, tradition equals how it's supposed to work. And we adopt it. We turn our traditions into a calculus by which we become righteous rather than the relationship with the one who makes us that way. The way it happens is we have an experience with Jesus and it's powerful and life-changing. And then we build an altar of stone at that point to remember and honor it, which is good. And then we revisit it again and again, hoping to experience what we experienced before, only to be disappointed that God is doing a new thing. Does that sound familiar to anybody? But if I know one thing, I know this, God does not work the way that I want him to or that I think he should. And I'm also gonna give an amen to that because if he did, things would be a mess. But with our traditions, we make them this thing that isn't what they're supposed to be. We wind up becoming pharisaical and religious about our traditions. The way that we experience God, we believe that others should experience him the same way. God visits us in a mighty and powerful way and we say, thanks be to God. We, we build that altar and we make that altar look like we want it to and then we come back and revisit it and then like a good disciple, we go and we say, well, we're supposed to go and make disciples so we go and make disciples and we get those people who have said yes to Jesus and then we point them and say, this is the way it should work. We wind up becoming pharisaical and religious about our traditions and methods to a point where there's no longer life 
and relationship, but rather an imposing judgmental method. Jesus warns us about this and especially warns us when our, our, our things, our traditions, our, when, when they become pharisaical. In Matthew 23, 15, he says this. He says, and this is, this is a pretty strong, well, I'll just let it speak for itself. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell that you yourself are. And when you hear that, when I hear that, I get to thinking, I don't want to, first of all, I don't want to be a child of hell, number one. And number two, I don't want to be responsible for anyone else being a child of hell. And, and you, may be, you may be thinking in this moment, that, hold on, Travis, this only applies to teachers, preachers, and Pharisees. And I've even heard people say, well, the words, not all the words of Jesus apply to me. And I would say, well, they don't unless they do apply to you. Listen also to the words of Jesus that apply to you and to me. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. So I think it does apply to us. As disciples, as followers of Jesus, some of us need to let some things die so that something new can be born. Now I know this is, is it's tough. This it, it was tough for me to receive this is a tough, tough thing because letting something die means letting go of something. And usually it's something you love. But some of us need to let some things die so that something new can be born, both in us and through us. And I love, you know, we're singing the song, Same God, and the God of Mary. It's interesting how Jesus came in and to be, you know, the word of God came to Mary. She received, conceived, and then the word of God was expressed through her. But she had to let go. She had to let go of her presuppositions and, and, and the things that she thought and how it would be in order for Jesus to be expressed and be the blessing to the world. And that is the same way, both in us and through us. Yes, we revisit the altars that we've built in our lives, but not because that's where God can be found but because that's where he was and we need to be reminded. When we built the altars and started these traditions that we do, we built them because there was sacrifice and God did something new in us that started off as life. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about altars and um, I, I was, I'm reading a couple of books and one of the, I forgot who it was, but one of the authors in the book said um, that in biblical times, the altars were built from uncut stone. Now, that may not mean anything to you, but when I got to thinking about that, I don't know if you've ever tried to work with uncut stone, just rocks, and tried to build anything with just rocks. 
right? It, you, you, it doesn't always look like you want it to. Like you'll build this, my, we had tons of rocks growing up and my parents used, we used the rocks everywhere, so we used them. And we built flower beds with them. And you would, you would drive by these houses that had these nice finished Home Depot uh, rock, you know, the things you see in the garden section, you look at them and you're like, man, I want that. And then there was our house that had rocks that we piled up around that didn't look anything like that, but they did the job. They didn't look like they were, like we thought they were supposed to, but they did what they were supposed to. In biblical times, altars were built from uncut stones, meaning that coming before God in surrender was never to be shaped by our design or controlling the moment. Yet we will build our altars and traditions and try to make them look like we want them to because it makes us comfortable. And we believe that's how God wants and what God wants. But if there's one thing I know, God is not a God of comfort. I can attest to that right now. Let me give you, well, before I give you a, a really powerful example of this, again, I was reading some of these, these, these books that I've been reading, um, and gosh, I wish I could remember the, I should have put them in my notes. That would have been the smart thing. But um, one of the authors said this statement um, about moves of God and traditions and even denominations. He said, most denominations, most traditions start off as a sovereign move of life through the Holy Spirit. Sovereign. If you think back to even our, our, our origination, Wesley, and that sovereign move of life, he says, most start off as a sovereign move of life through the Holy Spirit to which well-meaning Christians begin to put their hands on it to shape it and bring it to a slow death. Let me give you a really stark example found in the book of Amos. Israel had fallen away from God and had gotten to a place where God was expressing his discontent. I'm gonna read this to you. It's found in Amos chapter five, verses 21 through 23, and then we'll hit 24. It says, this is, this is God talking to the people of Israel. He says, I hate all your show and pretense. The hypocrisy of your religious festivals and solemn assembles. I will not accept your burnt offering and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. We don't like to think of God that way, do we? What's important here is to know that God gave them all these things as a way to facilitate the relationship with him. But those things have become more about themselves than that relationship. He even reminds them a chapter earlier that he's the one who rescued them. I mean, how often do we need reminding of that? He's the one who rescued us. If it was up to me, I would still be sitting in my stuff. Their traditions, our traditions, sometimes, but in this case, their traditions had become about themselves. And when they become about themselves, instead of about him, sin is crouching at the door. God says he wants instead to see a mighty flood of justice and an endless river of righteous living. 
So that brings me to this, this really big question that kind of settled with me because this message was preached to me first um, over the course of a couple of weeks because it was really hard for me to swallow because I thought um, there's nothing I've got going on that's like this. So I don't know how I'm gonna do this, but I really had to ask that question. What, what tradition do I have? What altar have I built that no longer facilitates and does what it's supposed to do? Or, or what, have I turn, what have I done to turn this thing into something that doesn't facilitate this relationship with him? I went back through my own thoughts and then finally God reminded me of an experience I had with Jesus when I first got called into ministry. Um, I built an altar there. I wanted to remember, right? And, and it's not wrong, but I wanted to remember and I built this altar and I remember Jesus through the Holy Spirit in that moment saying that he would make the steps that I would follow. And I came out of my prayer closet because it really was a prayer closet. And I'm not lying. It was the closet in my house, clothes hanging up, shoes on the floor. That was my prayer closet. I built an altar there, not physical, but, but spiritual. I built this altar there. I shaped it, said, this is how it looks. God speaks this way. And then I would go back. My tradition became, I would go back to that prayer closet looking for that same experience again and again and again. And I would even sing the songs, right? The songs that sound good, do it again, God, do it again, do what you did before. All the while God saying, I'm doing a new thing, Travis. I'm doing a new thing. Be about the new thing I'm doing. This is good, but be about the new thing. But like the angel broadcasted to those who were first at the tomb, he was not present or he wasn't letting himself be known when I would attend those. I would go back again and again where I experienced him and I would do what worked only to be disappointed because what I thought he should be doing, he wasn't doing. But I continued. It became my tradition until a place where I became self-righteous because I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was going back and I was singing the songs and giving God time to speak and all of these things. All the while, God was saying to me, I am with you here. You don't need to go there. That had a purpose. And yes, build an altar and remember that, but I am here with you now. I can speak to you now. I can speak without having a door shut behind you. Not that that's wrong, but I had made it something that wasn't about him anymore. So my question, and it's a question that I continually ask myself is, is this, so what is your tradition that you repeat looking for God? What tradition do you repeat that has become more about you than him? What altars have you built that you've shaped Like I said, mine was one built with cut stones to my liking, not to his. Is it church? Is church a tradition that's become more about you than him? I mean, I think that's a, it's a hard question, but it's a valid one. And I think it can be, and it does become that when it becomes about you and not about him. When your preference of how church should work supersedes the possibility for an encounter with the almighty God 
then it's no longer a life-giving tradition that facilitates relationship. It's become something else. Is it your Bible study or your small group that's become your thing that you think this is the way that God's, God works and no, no other way? And God would say, yes, I can work through this, but this is not, I'm doing a new thing. Be on the lookout for the new thing I'm, I'm doing. Is it, are those things? What things have become a show? Where is there hypocrisy present in your traditions? The things that you do that are supposed to facilitate the relationship. Where does there need to be an invasion of the mighty flow of justice and righteousness? As I was, I was thinking about these things, I was sitting on um, our back deck at the house and the, our kids were all over the place. And I got to thinking about them getting older and, you know, my wife will look over at our little boy who's getting taller and she's, she'll, he's gotten taller. And I'm like, I know, he's eventually not gonna be holding your hand anymore. He's gonna be, you know, running around doing his own thing. But I got to thinking, I, I, thought, I thought for a minute, it entered my mind, I, it was the day that my kids become more about what we do together rather than simply being together, that's the day that we make a change as a family. The day that they become more about our traditions and less about just being, that's the day we make a change. And maybe that's us today. The only one who can really answer that question is the one who knows you inside and out, the one who cooked you up, the one that had a blueprint in his mind for you long before you were you. We think that it is us who examines God, but it's quite the other way around. So today, as we close, if you need time at these kneelers today, they're open, as always. But I would say don't walk, run. And the second thing I would say is, if you need someone, and this is different from the kneelers, but if you need someone to stand in agreement with you in prayer today, because you're going through something and, and, and even God drops it in your spirit that like you've made this thing about you and it's not about you, I wanna redeem it and it's a good thing, but right now it's not and you need someone to stand with you in prayer, we're gonna have congregational care ministers on each side over here and you just simply walk up to them and just say, I need prayer. Tell them what you need prayer for and they'll stand with you. Notice I said Stand. They'll stand with you in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit today to reveal those things that were designed to facilitate your relationship with the Father that have become more about you than Him. And most of all, remember that tradition is not relationship. And when it becomes our relationship, when it becomes the thing instead of the relationship with our Father. Our Father in heaven grieves because He doesn't want our efforts towards righteousness, which is what traditions become. He wants us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.